0: The following sermon is from Dr. Dan Kitnoya, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you've never reached out to Calvary before, we'd like to hear from you. Visit our website, calvarytilton.com. That's calvarytilton.com. And now, here's Dr. Dan. If you have your copy of the scriptures, join me if you would in Revelation chapter 5, Revelation 5. It seems like political season is upon us again because the mudslinging has begun. Actually, it seems like political season has been going on for the last three years because it's been sort of a nonstop thing, but the idea of mudslinging is when a candidate begins to bring into question the qualifications of their opponent, the idea is we're asking the question, are they worthy to be president? I mean, can you really trust this guy? Does he really know what he's doing? So much power and authority vested in one person, in one office. Can we really trust them? Do they know what they're doing? And so we're trying to bring fears of incompetence. Or will they engage in overreach? Will they stay in their lane or will they govern through divine fiat or through their own idea of divine fiat by telling, we're going to have czars and they're going to, enact laws without people voting for them? Is that they're going to govern? And so we start to see mud slaking, slinging take place. Will he work to hinder our freedom of speech and our freedom of religion, or will they seek to subvert it? Will he defend our constitutional rights or seek to silence us? Will he look out for his own interests or the interests of others? Will he look out for us? And since he will be called the commander-in-chief, Can we really trust him to have access to the the nuclear codes? I mean, who is this guy? Can you really trust him? And it seems like every presidential election, it is said by the end of it, we we are left with the choice between the lesser of two evils. Because by the time the mudslinging is done, we are left to conclude that neither of the candidates are worthy to be our president. In Revelation 5, God, however, is, has something far grander in mind. He is concerned with the question, who is worthy to rule the entire earth and to be worshipped? His idea is far bigger than what the United States considers. Who can be trusted to judge and to defend the rights of everyone, rich or poor, male or female? Revelation 5 tells us that Jesus is worthy to be worshipped, by everyone, everywhere, at every time in human history, and to judge sinners and rule the earth. This is because he was the sacrificial lamb who died to redeem sinners. We see that in Revelation 5. Please stand if you're able to in honor of the reading of God's word. We're going to read the entirety of chapter 5. We're going to get the bird's eye view. But the highlight, the headline is Jesus is worthy to rule and to be worshipped. Let's take the bird's eye view and then we'll come back for the worm's eye view. This is the word of God. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scrolls or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes For you were slain, and by your blood you rammed some people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Verse 11. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Verse 12. And I heard every living creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you today for the word of God. We thank you for this time to gather in your presence. We pray that you were glorified in our song. We pray that we as people would be edified through the word this morning. Let all things that are done bring glory to you. Lord, we also think of Israel, who in recent days has been attacked and thus finds itself mired once again in war. We pray for a speedy resolution. More than that, that people would come to faith in Jesus through this time. Bring that nation to salvation in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Shortly after Jesus died on the cross and then rose from the dead, he met up in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 with his apostles. There was 11 of them there. And they fell down to worship him. Two things I want to point out right away. 11 is too small of a number. The, the idea throughout the rest of the New Testament and throughout church history has been, let us reach more people because worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And Jesus doesn't rebuke them for their worship because he is God. And so they worship him, and then he says, All authority has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, everything from the time of Jesus' ministry until then. Teach them everything that I've commanded you. And lo, behold, check it out. I will be with you always until the end of the age. Now, as Christians in America, since the second great awakening, we have typically focused almost exclusively on the idea of individuals coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And there's good reason for that. But Jesus said make disciples of all nations. Why? Because he is the king of all nations. The problem is is they, they are in rebellion against him and so when you see groups like Hamas attacking Israel and of course they're going to be denounced for this but as the thing unfolds people will start to question Israel's right to defend themselves there's a lot of problems in the world health problems economic problems and instability and then there's things like wars and rumors of wars and war crimes and to meet the need Worldwide, worldwide agencies have been created, like the World Economic Forum, which is pressuring businesses to embrace diversity, equity, and inclusion. And This is undoubtedly pushing unbiblical ideas onto people. We have groups like the World Health Organization. Who can be against world health? But I never voted for World Health Organization's leaders. So maybe their ideas are not so good after all. Who do they answer to? They're not worthy to rule the world. And for that matter, the international court known as the Hague is not trustworthy and worthy to judge the nations. Only Jesus is worthy of that kind of responsibility and trust. Only Jesus is worthy to judge sinners and to rule the earth. We see that in verse 1 through 4. Let's begin the worm's eye view of our passage. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, that's God the Father, on the the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, this is almost a rhetorical question, I'm still debating whether it's a rhetorical question, because he knows the answer. Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to, to open the scroll or to look into it. So John has got this guided tour of heaven, so to speak, and he's describing for us what he sees. And there's God on the throne. He's holding a scroll. And no person that's ever lived, no philosopher, no physician, No president, no king, who's ever lived, has been worthy to open this scroll. And John weeps because he understands something about the scroll, because he knows his Bible. What's this scroll and its contents? Well, it is, I believe, the deed to the earth. In Psalm chapter 2, something begins in sort of seed form. It is the acorn, which becomes an oak tree in Christ Jesus. In Psalm 2, which is a a, a psalm of David, but also it's prophetic. It speaks of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And it begins with this amazing statement about the nations who are not in subjection to God. Why do the nations rage? And why do the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves against the Lord and his anointed. The rulers take counsel together. And then it concludes later in the psalm and it says, This is now God speaking. I will declare I will declare the decree. Ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. Understand something. Israel was the acorn, but the whole tree is the whole earth. Because Jesus Christ is the Messiah who comes from Israel, yes, but He is the King of the whole earth. And so this scroll appears to be a, a deed of sorts, a contract, a, a, the, the inheritance that Jesus was promised. The earth was created by Him and for Him. There's not one square inch of planet earth over which Jesus Christ does not say, Mine. It belongs to Him. And so now He steps forward to take this scroll. Every single one of those seals, as they're broken open, uh, it brings out wrath from God. Judgment on the earth. But then what's inside of the scrolls appears to be detailing the events to come in God's plan of redemption, including judgment and the recreation of earth. You can read of this scroll. It appears in Daniel 12, verse 4, and also Ezekiel 2, 9 through 10. Just listen as I read. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me. And behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it out before me, and had writing on the front and on the back, and there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. The scroll which Daniel saw also he was not allowed to reveal its contents. John wept, wept, because if no one can open the scroll, earth will not be recreated, rebellion will not be put down, God's judgment of sinners will not be dealt with not be dealt out and the righteous will not be vindicated. The opening of each seal brings judgment and we read of those in chapter 6 through 8, but the content of the scroll is different. It is God's future plan to restore his creation which was tainted by sin. When you read to the end of the book of Revelation and if the Lord allows, we'll get to it in time. But there's a recreation of heaven and earth. There's a new Jerusalem. There, is, there we are in the presence of God. It's almost like almost like the Garden of Eden, but bigger. As would turn out in the Garden of Eden is the acorn. And at the end of Revelation is the oak tree in full bloom. In the Garden of Eden, it's just Adam and Eve. They have, they're enjoying God's presence. They are to enjoy Him forever and to glorify Him. And they have one rule. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you know, they broke that rule and brought sin, death, and destruction upon the earth. But at the end of the book of Revelation now, all of this is recreated and once again it's restored to perfection better than it was before. In acorn form, Adam was told to have dominion over all the earth. That means rule it on God's behalf. Unfortunately, because of sin, even the best of presidents have been imperfect men. The best of kings have been imperfect kings. The best of economic advisors have been imperfect. But Jesus is not the second Adam. He is the last Adam. The acorn was Adam. The oak tree is Jesus Christ. There is a connection between the Old Testament. And the New Testament. This scroll that he sees confers the right to inherit the earth and the plan to restore it. Jesus, when he was approaching his death, looked at someone and said, Behold, I make all things new. At the cross, it began. It will be completed at the return of Christ. But salvation, you and I being made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ was the beginning of God making all things new. It is the acorn. The moment that you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you were then added as a branch to the tree which will come to full fruition at the return of Christ. Death and suffering will come to an end. Justice will be meted out. No one on earth is qualified to rule or judge sinners except Jesus Christ. Jesus is worthy to rule the earth because he died as a sacrifice to redeem sinners. Let's look at verses 5 through 10. And one of the elders, we talked about the elders last week, those those were uh, people who represent the people of God. There were 12 representatives from Old Testament Israelite tribes. And 12 apostles standing before God, representing us before God. One of the elders said to me, weep no more. Because the lion of the tribe of Judah, Judah Judah is the acorn. Jesus is the, is the oak tree. The root of David, David the acorn. Jesus, the oak tree. Catch the theme. I want you to catch that. It's very critical for understanding not only the Bible, but the book of Revelation. Things that God began in the Old Testament come to full fruition in the new the root of david has conquered he overcame sin death the cross and satan and the world so that he then can open the scroll and its and its seven seals and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders i saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain so he turns to look at the lion and what he sees is the lamb jesus is both he is the one who died and he's the one who will rose and the one who will reign. I saw a lamb as though he had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. I will simplify that and simply say that is a reference to the Holy Spirit who was sent out into the world, who works in the church, through the church. He convicts people of sin, of their need of repentance and brings them to faith in Jesus Christ. This morning, if you have never called on Jesus for salvation, and you have a sense that maybe today is the day that you should come to Him as Lord and Savior, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Do not ignore Him. Verse 7, And He went and took the scroll from the right hand of Him who was seated on the throne, that's God, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, those are the cherubim, we talked about that last week, and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp for worship, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So there the elders are, representing us before God, worshiping him, and then they have this, these prayers of the saints, that were the saints. those prayers then uh, come to God like a a fragrant aroma. They are representing us to God on our behalf. One of the interesting things, if you uh, study the history of our nation's founding, you might come to the conclusion that our founding fathers looked to the Bible to discover how government should be organized because then they had people representing the interests of the people at the nation's capital. Actually, that is exactly what they did. They looked at how they felt church should be organized with elders who who were uh, representing the interests of the people before God and were serving them. They said, I think this is how our government should be organized. So here we are, verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals For you are slain and by your blood you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Jesus is worthy to rule because He died as a sacrifice to redeem sinners like us. In our passage what we see there is Jesus is both the Lamb who was slain and the Lion who reigns. And we see Him then the Fulfillment of promises made to David. Here's what's going on. God had made a covenant with David, which is fulfilled in Jesus. Promises made, promises kept. And here's what was going on in the book of 2 Samuel. You can read about this. But God was pleased with David. So he says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. You will always have a who is going to sit on the throne forever. And as time unfolded, it looked like that wasn't going to happen. In fact, the, the, the family of David is described like a tree that's been chopped down and all that remains is a stump. But Jesus is the root shoot of David. I think he's the root and before David and he's a shoot because he grows out of David. And so he then receives the promises that God made to David. Because Jesus is the descendant of David according to the flesh, therefore he can become God's anointed king. Actually, he can be revealed as God's anointed king. Thus, fulfilling a promise to David. God keeps his promises. He's promised to return, he has promised uh, rewards, he has promised a home in heaven. He's also warned of judgment for those who refused to come to Jesus for salvation. This Jesus then approaches the throne of God the Father, and he takes the scroll. When Jesus took the scroll from the Father, heaven worshipped spontaneously because they know things are about to take place which have been foretold for generations. They praised Jesus because he had redeemed many people making them a kingdom of priests who serve God. Church, did you know that we're considered part of the kingdom of God? Sometimes when interpreters because they're very jealous to guard Israel's importance and God's plan, sometimes they're uncomfortable talking about the church that way. But the Bible describes us that way in several places. For Colossians 1, 13 and 14. This is what Jesus what it says. He being Jesus, Jesus has delivered us From the domain of darkness, that's one kingdom. And transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. In whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. In 1 Peter 2.9 it talks about us. We are a royal nation. a, a, A holy priesthood. We are part of the kingdom of God. Jesus is our king. And so it says in Revelation, he has made us a kingdom and priest. Now, depending on your translation, it might say kings and priests. I assure you I studied it. It's, uh, they're both good translations, but kingdom is probably the better translation. But it doesn't change the point. Jesus Christ redeemed you. He redeemed me through, through the cross so that we can serve God and rule with him. He being the king. We being more like princes and princesses under him. He has dominion. He will have dominion over the earth. Jesus first came as a sacrificial lamb, who was crucified to atone for our sins, and he will return as a conquering lamb, or lion. In the Old Testament, there are sacrifices made. There are lambs who are sacrificed. That was the acorn. Jesus was the oak tree. He fulfilled what those things foreshadowed when He died cross. And thus, He deserves to be worshipped. Church, I wonder if we have the same priority for worship that heaven does. See, we were saved on purpose for a purpose and that includes worship and service. That is why the King brought you into the kingdom. Jesus deserves your worship because He died in your place, was buried, and rose again. Jesus worthy he to be worshipped by everyone, everywhere, at every time in history. Verse 11-14. through 14. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voices of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads of thousands of thousands. Pause. The, the, these angels... In the Bible, we see there seems to be classes of angels. So the ones that are called living creatures appear to be the the cherubim. There are also seraphim, and then there's angels. So there's classes of angels. And now John looks, and it's as if these angels probably were standing there the whole time, but then they materialize, and he's allowed to see them. Verse 13, or verse 12 rather. They were saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth. And wisdom and might, he is worthy to receive honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. It's as if they heard each other praising God and they say, that's right, Amen. And then they jump in with worship of their own. And by the time you, you get to the end, the elders who represent us are falling down on their faces before God worshiping. The angels appeared before the throne to worship alongside the cherubim and elders. And as this chorus of worshipers grows, the the elders fall prostrate before Jesus. You and I are there in in the midst. Most likely the rapture has already happened by the time the events written here take place. We belong in heaven, worshiping God along with the angels. Notice what they, what, how, why they worshipped Him. His worthiness. The truest worship is worship that focuses on the character and actions of God. As Christians, you came to faith in Jesus Christ. The acorn of your faith was the moment that you came to understand that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior. That he died on the cross in your place to pay for your sins, and you are a sinner. You understood that, and you put your trust in Jesus Christ; He's your Lord and Savior. That was the acorn. The oak tree is when you finally get to see Jesus face to face and enjoy Him forever in heaven. Listen, you, 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 and I were not worthy to be part of the kingdom of God, but Jesus' death atoned for our sins, and now we're. We fit in in heaven now. Not because we are so great, not because we dressed the part this morning, but because our sins have been forgiven, washed away, and we've been robed with the righteousness of Christ. That act, that moment where you said, Yes, Jesus is Lord. Yes, I believe He died on the cross for my sins. That was an act of worship. That began a a journey with Christ. But for those who have yet to put your trust in Jesus, I want you to understand something. The book of Philippians 2 says something very interesting about Jesus because of what he did on the cross. In verse 9, it says that he has been given, chapter 2, verse 9 of Philippians, it says, he has been given the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Christ, every knee will bow of those in heaven and of those of earth and those under the earth. That includes the unbeliever. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. My understanding of the scriptures is this. For the person who has put their trust in Jesus, who has said, Yes, Jesus is Lord in this life, you are born again. And that day when we all stand before God and, and kneel and make this declaration, it'll be old hat for us because we've been saying it since the days that we lived on the earth before judgment came. But for those who have refused to come to Jesus as Lord and Savior and said, I will be my own king. I will look to other agencies to be the God of the earth. That day will be an unhappy day because the God that you rejected will now reject you from His presence forever. The one who is worthy to rule also is the one who died for you. Right now, there's a lot of talk about presidents, whether or not they're in it for themselves, getting kickbacks. I'm sure this is not new. We're just hearing about it. Jesus put himself on the line for everyone else for the joy set before him he endured the cross despising its shame he wasn't happy to go to the cross he was willing because the father had that was his plan not sure if that's true is the preacher being sacrilegious in the garden in the garden of gethsemane before he's arrested he is on his face praying crying out to his Father, blood somehow comes through his pores because he's so filled with anguish and he says, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Be done. Because he surrendered to the Father that way, because He sacrificed Himself on the cross for sinners like you and I, He's he's worthy to be worshipped. He is trustworthy. We can trust Him to judge rightly. Job asked, will not the judge of the earth do right? It was a rhetorical question. Absolutely. Church, We must surrender to Jesus as Lord, not just Savior. Because the picture of Jesus is absolutely He is the Savior, but He is the Lord. Is worship a priority? Listen, worship is what we do on Sunday. It's also what we do on Saturday night if if you're still writing checks for for the offering plate. That's, That's worship. On Tuesday when you share the gospel with a co-worker, a neighbor, that's worship. When you decide to do what's right, even when you're pretty sure you won't get in trouble for doing what's wrong, that's worship. And God sees it. He is worthy of that kind of worship. And that is what the Christian has been called to. And because Jesus is worthy, I have no problem saying to the unbeliever this morning, Jesus is worthy of your trust. He is worthy to submit to Him and to come to Him for salvation. As This time we're moving to take Lord's Supper, which is an act in which we symbolically proclaim Jesus' death and resurrection until He returns. We're proclaiming the glory of Christ, the Lamb. But if you would like to talk to me about salvation, I'm going to be standing out there in that lobby. Chrissy's going to join me. She doesn't know it yet. So if there's a lady and you'd like to come and talk with me, Chrissy will be with me. Love to talk with you about following Jesus Christ and and what comes next. If perhaps you're still not sure about that, you can contact it, contact the church office. We can set this an on appointment to meet. I want to talk to you about what it means to put your trust in Jesus and to follow him. You've been listening to Dr. Dan Kitnoya, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website, calvarytilton.com. That's CalvaryTilton.com. Thank you for listening.